You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. On today's episode, we're joined by Tim Mackey. Tim is a pastor, professor, and one of the creative minds behind The Bible Project, which is a nonprofit studio that creates animated short films that explore the grand narrative and theological themes of all the biblical books. We are big fans of The Bible Project. If you have not checked out their content, we highly encourage you to go to their website. You can just Google The Bible Project or look them up on YouTube. They post so much content for free. It's an incredible resource at we The Bible Project as well. This conversation with Tim today was about the whole Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. And so we just kind of talk, what, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? How does that carry over to the New Testament? Does anything change? We felt like it was a really fruitful discussion. There was a lot of times where JT, Jen, and myself, uh, you'll, you'll hear there, there are these answers, and we're just kind of sitting in the back looking at one another and just jotting down notes, writing, thinking, um, as we were really learning along with you and learning from Tim throughout this podcast. And so we hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, we want to welcome to the show Tim. How are you, Tim? Great. It's a good day. It is a good day. It is a good day. What, what have you been up to today? What's a day in, uh, you, you live in Portland, right? What's a day in Portland look like? Because it probably looks different than a I day do. in Dallas. I do. Well, it's real time. You know, we're, I'm two hours ahead of where you guys are, though that doesn't matter for people listening because it could be any time of day. Uh, I, it's 8.30 in the morning. So I woke up and read for a while, made sausage and muffins for my kids that sounds wonderful can yeah. we come and we should I be came, doing this in I, portland <laughs> right and then i came came to work and now here i am talking to you at the beginning of my day awesome. okay well uh so tim uh you help run and, and and i believe you help start this organization called the bible project and before we jump into our topic i just want to hear yeah. a little bit what are the hopes and goals of the bible project we have profit just so you know yeah. We're big fans. We've profited immensely from your work. So, yeah, before you jump uh, into saying great. what you do, we want to say thank you yeah, thank for you, what you thank do. You, thank you. But what is the hope and goals yeah. of the Bible Project? Yeah, well, um, it's the Bible Project, it's a nonprofit animation studio in Portland, Oregon. Uh, from the outside, that's <laughs> what it is. Uh, uh, we're crowdfunded and we make short animated videos about all the books of the Bible and uh, theological themes and ideas in the Bible, and they're all free on, on YouTube. Um, so in one sense, that is the goal and the hope, is to make really compelling, artistically beautiful um, media that helps people engage the Bible and see its beauty and its profound nature in a new way. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, uh, that- we, wanted, we were making videos to get people excited and to see the beauty of the Bible. Um, so yeah, our hopes and goals are to help kind of ch- change or really uh, shape people's paradigm of what the Bible is and therefore what you do with it. And so our main sentence that we repeat everywhere constantly is that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus that has wisdom to offer the modern world. And so that's it. We want people to see the Bible as a viable contributor to the most important issues and conversations and needs of our day. And, also, just jump uh, YouTube to, is our vehicle right now for doing that. It's awesome. One other thing I'll say right now, just for folks who might be listening and have benefited from the from the Bible Project videos this year, my 
in-laws gave me the Bible Project coffee table book, and it is beautiful. Oh, beautiful. sweet, yeah. So that's sitting on my coffee table at home. If any of you are interested in seeing the, what, what the Bible Project has done in more kind of uh, material form, it, it really is great. And they can just stop by your house. You want to go ahead and give yeah, us you your come address? To my house. We're going to go to Tim's house for a sausage <laughs> first. We can come to my house for dinner later. Just to check out the book. Yeah, that's, that's right. great, too. Yeah. Well, uh, t- it's actually so large, it can function as its own coffee table. <laughs> it can. Or I, th- I throw it sometimes. So you're saying it has sort of a dual nature? Nature or right? Oh. Yeah, oh. dual purpose for sure. Well, uh, put, some, put some legs on it, and you can get, and then you'll need a coffee table book to put on the coffee table. Right. Well, Tim, you guys have covered a ton of topics, but what we're going to talk about today is the Holy Spirit, and so we really mm-hmm. we thought. We wanted to talk through this topic, uh, and then we had seen the video that you guys had done on the topic, and we thought, you know what, let's just have Tim come on. So if you were going to tell the story of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, how would you do that? Yes. Um, Well, sure. Okay, I'm just going to, you get me talking about the Bible, and I'm just going to go. Go. Interrupt me. We (laughs) we will. When you want to. Okay, deal. Um. Well, I think it's first important to say is we made the video one important uh, discovery process for me and for John, uh, my partner and co-founder of the Bible Project, was the Holy Spirit is is a topic in the Bible that's impossible for any of us to come to objectively. Um, and whether, especially if you've grown up in church culture of any kind, um, because whether it's family members, our own experience, the church traditions we know about from TV, <laughs> uh, or from our own experience, um, those foundational experiences really shape and create the mold of what, who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And what we tend to do then is read the Bible in light of those categories from our experience. Tim, can you give, a, can you give I, an I example think, of that? Oh, sure. Uh, well, for, I mean, I'll just give my, my own example. My family um, g- grew up attending um, a classic, like, Pentecostal, just full package deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so that was my I- experience of church as a, as a kid, and the Holy Spirit, and very uh, spontaneous, expressive, enthusiastic manifestations of the Spirit. You know, that's what I'm observing. Uh, in my first experience as a church growing up. So it's taken me, and then I came, uh, as I got older, I got really disenchanted and skeptical about all that. And so it's taken me a really long time to shed all of that Mm -hmm. and just to come and let the biblical story kind of set the agenda of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit is up to in the world. And so uh, that's just been my own journey. No, that... partner john he's the other voice in the holy spirit video he had the opposite experience where where in his church it was like the father the son and the holy bible kind of thing (laughs) um and the spirit just wasn't a huge part of their conception of interacting with god and so for him it was the opposite journey of like a minimal role of the spirit uh coming to realize the spirit has so much more going on so those are two kind of examples of what i'm talking about yeah, that, that's really helpful. So uh, if, if the biblical story needs to be the controlling narrative on what we think about the Holy Spirit, what is that biblical story? Maybe, you know, aim for, aim for conciseness yep. and clarity, as you always yeah. do. Well, uh, one awesome thing is that the Holy Spirit is front and center 
in not just on page one of the Bible, but in sentence number two of the Bible. Yeah. Um, so already from the first sentences of the biblical story, the Spirit is introduced as a key player and a key actor. Um, it's the scene at the beginning of the dark, chaotic waters that depict the the uh, the uncreated world, as it were. <laughs> so there's lots of debate about this, of course. But it's the world in a state of chaos and disorder. And uh, the, the divine presence that is there in the midst of chaos, and that's about to bring order and light and life into the chaos, is the Spirit. Um, so in the beginning, God created, but when the author wants to depict the personal presence of God in the midst of chaos about to bring life and order, um, the, the author uses this phrase, the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So the first time any appears in the Bible is always important and kind of sets the category for everything to follow. Um, so the word spirit in English, uh, there's all kinds of baggage that comes with that. The Hebrew word is ruach. You have to clear your throat when you say it. <laughs> ruach. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I sneezed like that earlier. <laughs> and if you just, you know, you can do you can do this online for free at like blueletterbible.org. You can do original language word searches, you know, mm. if you search ruach throughout uh, the Hebrew Bible. Um, there's three main ways that the word gets used. It can um, get used to describe an impersonal, invisible energy, like wind. So just the wind in the trees, the standard word for that is ruach, or wind blows. Um, but then ruach can also be used to describe a, uh, a personal being's invisible presence or energy. So human breath, the word for human breath is ruach, too. Yeah. So when I blow on you or I blow out a candle, I'm letting out my ruach, so to speak. Um, And then when the biblical authors want to depict God's personal presence that is a a vitalizing, life-creating, personal energy that God releases into the world, this is the word that they use. Um, So it's not like this, you know, Casper the ghost floating around in the dark kind of thing on you know on page one of the bible it's about god's personal presence that where it goes life and order and beauty is what results um it's what energizes and sustains the world and so this is why uh, throughout the rest of the uh the bible but especially in, in the old testament the creator life-giving spirit is one of the main categories like one of the main buckets you should have for what the spirit is and what mm-hmm. the spirit does the Spirit creates and sustains life. Um, so the author of Psalm 33 will, will reflect on Genesis 1 and say, by the word of God, the heavens were made by the breath of the mouth, the breath of his mouth, the ruach of his mouth, they were created. Um, so there's, And there's all kinds of other passages in the Old Testament that talk about how God's breath, God's ruach, like Job, when Job talks about his life, he says, it's God's ruach in my nostril, mm-hmm. <laughs> which might seem a little bit weird, especially if you are thinking of the ghost idea, then you're like, what, God's in my nose? Right. It's so weird to say something like that. But if, but if you let page one shape the categories, it, it's God's life-giving presence that sustains me, it sustains the animals, it sustains the order of the universe, um, it, it's that. So that's, that's actually the main way that the biblical authors use and talk about God's 
spirit. It's an invisible personal presence that energizes, creates, and sustains life. One of the things to be honest, I love. That's it. That's the that's that's the ground level category, and everything else the spirit does throughout the rest of the biblical story is just riffing off of that main idea. Tim, one of the things I love that you're already doing, one of the questions we were hoping to ask you is to think through what are the most common misunderstandings or misconceptions regarding the person of the Spirit in the Old Testament, and you're already addressing one of them yeah. in, insofar as I think a lot of people kind of live their daily experience or understanding of the Bible as if the Spirit wasn't operating or around in the Old Testament. You have maybe the mission of the Father in the Old Testament, the mission of the Son in the Gospels, and the mission of the Spirit from Acts on. Mm. We don't see God working like that. This triune God is always acting. And so I love that you're showing that from the second sentence of the Bible, this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit is active and alive and working together. What are some other maybe misconceptions uh, around the person of the Spirit that that you would would help us to consider? Um, I I mean, I think another one gets associated with just the Old Testament in general, um, which is for in many Christian traditions. um, The Old Testament is kind of like, I don't know, God's Revelation (laughs) 1.0. But now we have 2.0 in Jesus and the Spirit. Mm. And so... Uh, we kind of, you know, downgrade 1.0, or we don't think it's that important. Um, so I, one of my biggest transformations over the last few years is realizing how everything Jesus and the apostles are doing and saying about who Jesus is, the kingdom of God, new creation, the spirit, they aren't steps forward, but they're steps forward that were already anticipated and even developed in the first three quarters of our Bible. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard somebody uh, say Testament. once that, that I love the New Testament because it reminds me so much of the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, totally, yeah. So um, a, a lot of it, I, I think, is that we tend to um, be really familiar with the topics and issues of what's going on with the uh, Spirit in the New Testament, whether it's Pentecost and um, spiritual gifts, and um, whatever, the works of the Spirit, the works of the flesh, and how the Spirit works in us, and so on. But all of the, each one of those is itself just a, a branch uh, that's uh, going off of a, the main trunk mm, that's <laughs> cool. uh, of the storyline of the Spirit that was developed in, in the Old Testament. So, like, one example um, is whether or not, you know, people in the Old Testament had a personal transformational encounter with God through the Spirit. Um, and some people think that like an innovative thing that the, the, the New Testament put forward. Um, but again, let's just go back to the first book of the Bible. Um, the After the Spirit appears on page two as the life-giving, invisible presence of the Creator, the next story in which the Spirit appears um, is the story of Joseph. And it's the story of Joseph uh, being transformed from a slave into um, a co-ruler over the land of Egypt. And it's precisely the work and the presence of God's Spirit in his life that people can see. And it's what makes people notice something about him, and that's why he has success and gets promoted the way that he does. It's precisely, so it's the second story in the Bible. It's about a person whose life is overhauled by the presence and work of the Spirit to empower them for a whole new season of their life out of suffering and hardship. 
um, which is very similar to how the Apostle Paul, of course, views the work of the Spirit, like in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit groans in the midst of suffering to anticipate the new creation. Yeah, Tim, that... um, You get the same thing with uh, uh, the artists of the tabernacle. Actually, actually, the artists of the tabernacle, this is in the book of Exodus, is where those two categories come together. So the creator spirit of page one of Genesis, the empowering, transforming spirit of the Joseph story, those themes come together in these artists, um, Bezalel uh, and Aholiab, who make the tabernacle because God fills them with his spirit um, to make and to create the, the tabernacle, which is this icon of the Garden of Eden. So it's the creator spirit, but it's the spirit of wisdom. It's called the spirit of wisdom, so that they can take these raw materials and turn them into something beautiful and new, this transforming spirit. So these are really profound, really profound stories yeah. and portraits of yeah. the work of God's spirit um, in the first three quarters of our Bible. And what Jesus and the apostles are doing is just, carrying those forward in light of the events of what happened. So yeah. would you say that there's any, would you make any distinction between the way that the Spirit operates in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? Mm. I think it's a big disconnect for a lot of people. Um, yes, but that distinction is anticipated within the Old Testament itself, and, and that's about the widespread nature or scope of the Spirit's work. So is, there's that story in the book of Numbers where Moses is really tired. The people complain for meat and water in Numbers chapter 11. And he's so bummed. He's just like, these people, <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Hey, Tim, <laughs> and, I just, uh, just got to tell so you, God, I got to tell you, man, talking about Moses being so bummed <laughs> sounds about like... I, if I had a caricature in my head of Portland people, you just nailed it, man. You just, you just nailed it. And Moses was so bum. Well, I'll read the story. He's just like, do I have to carry these people like a baby my whole life? That's what he says. Did I conceive of these people and give birth to them? Now I have to carry them for their whole life? And it's a great life. He's a great anyway, metaphor so for motherhood. So God's, God's uh, response is, okay. I'm going to take up the spirit that I've put on you and distribute it out to 70 other elders. And um, six, 68 elders show up. So it's an odd story. But there's two of the elders who didn't show up, and they're outside in the camp, and the spirit comes upon them too. And Joshua gets defensive, and he's like, hey, those guys didn't show up for the you know the prayer meeting. Moses like, should they have gotten the spirit? And Moses has this line. He says, I wish that all of God's people would be empowered by the Spirit. So in that story, the people's rebellion and grumbling is linked, creates a, a need, that what people need to have transformed hearts to truly love and honor God is to actually have their own hearts transformed and enabled by God's Spirit. And that's what Moses wishes for. Yeah, and that creates the... Can I jump in? That creates the need that the, the, the prophet Joel, he's going to riff off of that and talk about in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all people, male, female, young and old, slave and free and so on. So what happens so, at Pentecost? Well, What's yeah. the significance of Pentecost? Right, right. Because I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate yeah. because I'm actually, Great. I think I Great. agree with where you're at and where you're headed, that the scope of the Spirit's right. influence is maybe the most significant change. But we don't, um, let me just kind of, you know, a lot of times you'll you're, you'll hear readings in, in John or on passages in John where Jesus seems to make this distinction. The Spirit has been with you, now he will be in you. Now, you know, I, 
I don't. I won't put my cards on the table. I, but I'd love to hear what you would say because uh, it seems like sometimes we think about the 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 change in the way the spirit's moving or working is not just mm-hmm. scope in terms of how many people are impacted, but the manner in which mm-hmm. the spirit is engaging with the people. It, he's been with them and now he's going to be in them. Yeah. What do you make of those kinds of distinctions? Do they hold up across the narrative? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I wouldn't hang it on vocabulary like that, you know, with versus in, um, because the whole image of God's Ruach in my nostrils, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is that it's, it's, God's ruach is what sustains my very life, um, but there there is a there is a distinction that again the, the apostles and Jesus are realizing, but it was anticipated by the Old Testament. So humans are created by and sustained by God's ruach. That's pages one and two of Genesis. But then the humans um, go on to be stupid and rebel and redefine good and evil. That's complex long story of the Old Testament, right? And so they, they right, create this really horrible thing in God's good world. And so what, like the prophet Ezekiel or Jeremiah, what they anticipate is that for humans to truly partner with God in ruling the world as his image bearer, they need to be recreated all over again <laughs> in Ezekiel's image of the Valley of Dry Bones, that weird dream that he has, the zombie dream. Um, he says, for, for God to truly enlist humans as faithful covenant partners, it's as if they need to die and be recreated, completely recreated, with a new ruach, the, the creational spirit, but recreating them, not literally, but, but morally and ethically and spiritually. And so that is, that's totally what Jesus and the apostles are saying is what's happening in and through Jesus and the gift of the spirit at Pentecost is it's the recreation of human mm-hmm. to be like the truly human one that is Jesus. So it's, it's the very life of Jesus released into the lives of his disciples to recreate them to become faithful covenant partners. I so love the Old Testament was giving you categories to make sense of all this, but now it's actually happening on the stage of history. I love that language. Uh, Even so before I think we... that's, at least personally, that's where I would make the distinction is It's the new creation spirit that remakes humans to become truly human, uh, to partner with God in ruling the world. That's the new thing happening with Pentecost. I love. And it's multi-ethnic. It's international, and new. It's the new humanity, uh, which doesn't isn't locked into any of our you know social categories. That's the whole book of Acts, right? It's breaking through ethnic, gender, socioeconomic barriers. It's the new humanity in in Jesus. When we think of Acts chapter 2, I mean, that's clearly the, the, the place in the New Testament that, that we should go to first to consider what Jesus, like, what is Jesus' first uh, act and work after his, after his resurrection? And Acts chapter 2 is a wonderful place to go. I also love John chapter 20 in the gospel. So Jesus is just resurrected. He appears to Mary, is, and she's supposing yeah. that he's the gardener. Then he appears to the disciples. He says, peace be with you, almost kind of invoking this shalom language that we find in Genesis 1 and 2, God's mission to rebring the peace of Eden to mm. the world. Jesus says to his disciples, and when he said this, he breathed out this Holy Spirit. What I love about that language is it, it creates this intensely personal experience 
as we think about Pentecost now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and his act is to breathe out the Spirit into the life of the church, recreating this tabernacle or temple. So what I would love for you, maybe we have a lot of people who listen to our podcast who are, I mean, we're, we're just lay people who are involved in the church. Could you maybe speak to them for a minute as this intensely personal act of the God of the Bible is, and Jesus is now ascended in the heavens, giving his spirit to recreate the world and to recreate them into the image of Christ? Could you maybe just speak for a min- m- yeah. moment pastorally of what does this mean for them yeah. as they think about, I'm now indwelt by this powerful, enlivening breath of God. What mm-hmm. does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it was so profound. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that story in John 20, in, on, on one level, reads like a very odd story, doesn't it? It's like one of the first things Jesus does <laughs> Uh, when he's risen from the dead, is breathe on his disciples. <laughs> right. Um, like, which on one level is like, oh, what does his breath smell like? You know, <laughs> kind of an odd thing to do. Uh, had, clearly, had there's many it. layers to what's happening in that story. Um, the, the, the story, yeah, the language there, actually John is intentionally recalling the very vocabulary of Genesis 2, where God breathes on the dirt and uh, creates his image-bearing humans. And so this is absolutely, it's a new creation uh, kind of moment here. That's what's supposed to come into our minds. Except it's people who are already alive. (laughs) Um, But they're alive in like a subhuman state, right? Mm -hmm. In the the fallen, broken, sinful human state. So the, the image of Jesus there is of the one who's overcome death and evil, is now on a mission to personally give his own life his own new creation life to people mm. in a in you know, it's a good way you put it in a very personal intimate way and that's so clearly how the um the apostles experienced what happened that what happened in that room was, was some like pre-pentecost right for right. the core disciples and then what happened at pentecost was that first experience with the risen jesus just it goes viral it just starts spreading now to, to thousands and to me, this is where uh, reading and reflecting on the Apostle Paul's letter, Paul experienced Jesus. He had those visions of the risen Jesus, but by his language about the Spirit, it, it seems like for the majority of his ministry and life and travels, he was experiencing Jesus through the personal presence of the Spirit. And so he talks about how the Spirit is in him, working through him. He talks about how the Spirit is about creating the fruit. Notice the Garden of Eden language, the mm-hmm. fruit of the Spirit. Um, and he names all the, right, the nine character traits, love, joy, peace, patience. Um, but in a passage like, that's in Galatians 5, but in a passage like Romans 8, it's clear like he believes he's connecting to the Father and the Son through the Spirit and entering into the very life and love of God um, through the presence of the Spirit. So, yeah, yeah uh, the New Testament's very clear. The way that disciples of Jesus connect to Jesus and to the Father is through the Spirit. It's the presence of the Spirit. And the presence of the Spirit is so crazy. The presence, I'm looking out a window right now at a, a huge hill of trees. You know, the same Creator Spirit that sustains the creation, according to Genesis 1 and Psalm 1, like that, those trees are animated by life energy. But that life energy isn't like the George Lucas Star Wars Force. It's a personal being. Mm. 
uh, who's become human in Jesus and wants to animate me with a, a whole new kind of energy of love and life of the fruit of the Spirit. Man, it's so beautiful. It's yeah. such a beautiful story to it be invited really, into. It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it really is. What a gift that um, God has given us to empower the church yeah. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Tim, we just want to thank you, brother, for your time today, for the work of the Bible Project. I want to encourage our listeners, if you have not gone and checked out the Bible Project and seen the good work that they're doing, I would encourage you to go and to look and to see and to profit from that and then to consider what it would look like to support what I really believe is a creative, beautiful way of trying to render the story of God intelligible and persuasive today. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Have a great day, brother. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. All right, so we just got off uh, talking with Tim, and that was, uh, I think, just such a profitable conversation to have with him. The, the work they're doing with the Bible Project is amazing, and it was just really cool to get to just talk through some questions that even I have about the work of the Spirit throughout Scripture. Uh, and uh, I was encouraged because there were some areas where he started answering questions, and I thought, man, I really hope I agree with him on this. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, <laughs> which is really fun. Um, what did you guys think about that? Any thoughts, anything we need to do to kind of land the plane? Oh man, I was, my thoughts were just churning. I've spent so much time in Genesis over the last couple of years that I, I was making a ton of connections um, as he was talking. I loved the idea of the spirit uh, bringing order out of chaos. Cause I, you know, I think so often when we speak about the spirit, we say things like, I just want to lose control. And I, you know, and I, we, we put all this language around experiencing the spirit that, that is not a reflection of that I- immediate thing that he does, which is bringing order. And, and, and so that was a great thought for me to kind of think about. And I was uh, remembering something that I heard. um, I think I'm ripping this off from James Boyce, but he was comparing the first and last Adam. It might be Arthur Pink. And he was talking about how the first Adam inhales 
the Ruach, and the last Adam exhales the Ruach. And I thought that was oh, wow. such a compelling yeah. idea that the ministry of Christ is that he breathes out the spirit that, that the first Adam breathed in. I might just add a few things too, but again, I mean, that was such a profitable conversation. Might uh, maybe uh, tailing off of what Jen just said there around the the work of the Spirit, the speech of the Spirit, and what He's doing to empower and enliven the life of the church. One of my favorite passages to go to is is uh, it found in John chapters fourteen through seventeen, as Jesus is addressing His disciples before He makes His way to the cross, and mm-hmm. He He talks uh, so personally and beautifully and intensely about the work of the Spirit. Uh, but one of the things that I think the church can tend to do unintentionally, almost always, is untether the work of the spirit from the work of the son yeah. and so tim did a wonderful job there i think to talk about that this this work of god is from the father through the son and by the spirit we talked about that at length in our trinitarianism podcast so i won't go into that at length here but just a few times i mean if we want to talk about and learn about what the spirit is doing i think i mean of course the bible is the place to go but as we think about jesus's intensely personal words of the spirit i think they're so instructive he says he says this he says the helper this is in John 14, uh, verse 25 or 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the work of the Spirit is really to empower the work of the church to be on mission about what the Son has done, mm-hmm. to testify to the Son, to bring glory to the Son. He says this later in, in um, verse Uh, 26 of chapter 15 when the helper comes whom i will send you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me so one of the things that i love about the spirit is he's entirely uh he's not self-referential but Mm self-deferential which is such a beautiful characteristic of the work of god is that he's pointing to another that the work of jesus christ in the life of the church is what ought to be magnified and glorified and bring about the praise and worship of his people and that is the work of the spirit so to be christ-centered is to be living on mission with the spirit empowering us what a sweet gift Mm -hmm. from the lord for more information you can look into the show notes in the podcast description we'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on itunes or wherever you find your podcast you can find us online at trainingthechurch.com you can find us on instagram and twitter by searching knowing faith on our next episode, we're going to be talking about the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and started flipping tables. See you next time. Grace and peace.